Grace and peace to each of you. This humble perspective is different than those over the last few weeks. In this one, the focus shifts from Paul's testimony to Jesus' life on earth. I hope you've been challenged by Paul's testimony to follow after Jesus and to serve according to his purpose more avidly. I certainly have been. This time it's not so much a meditation as it is a summation of meditations and study that go back over the last several years and it's longer than most of those have been. This time I offer a flyover view of the way Luke's Gospel shows that Jesus was fully focused on fulfilling the purpose for which he came and therefore he was intentional in the way he lived. Paul certainly reflected his master in that regard. I have listed numerous scripture references that are behind the comments. These will be more easily accessible to those who receive the printed perspectives by email. But even though listening to a stream of references could be a bit tedious, they will be helpful to any who make use of them to do your own study of Luke in the future. Also, scripture quotations in this podcast will be from the New American Standard Bible 2020 version, unless noted otherwise. This perspective is dated April 10th, 2022, which of course is Palm Sunday according to the Western Church calendar. Appropriately, the flyover ends with comments on Luke's account of the triumphal entry and the cleansing, cleansing of the temple. I hope and pray this will be a springboard for your own meditations to continue journeying with King Jesus to the cross and the tomb this week. And so, the humble perspective for April 10th, 2022. And it came about when the days were approaching for his ascension that he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. Luke 9.51, New American Standard Bible, 1977. Jesus' purpose-centered life. Paul's testimony in Philippians 3, 4-14 clearly reveals that his was a purpose-driven life, to borrow Rick Warren's phrase. Paul was thoroughly intentional in seeking to know Christ and to share in his life and mission. Paul himself summed it up. One thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and stretching forward to the things which are before, I press on toward the goal and to the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3:13b to 14, American Standard Version. However, Paul did not write about himself in order to exalt himself. Rather, he described his own passionate desire to know the Messiah in order to make the point that Jesus' life is the pattern all disciples of Jesus must follow. And so he went on. Therefore, all who are mature, let's have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you as well. However, let's keep living by that same standard to which we've attained. Brothers and sisters, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Philippians 3, 15-17. Jesus is the pattern to which every disciple must be conformed. The way that Jesus lived his own life, the way he taught his apostles and the other disciples to live, both by his example and by his instruction, 
that is the way we disciples must also learn to live. This is what it means to learn Christ, as Paul expressed it in Ephesians 4.20. Disciples of Jesus must quit walking, that is living, like the Gentiles, and learn Christ's way of life, a way of life that Paul described in great detail in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through chapter 6, verse 18. Following Paul's lead, I have shifted the focus of my meditations from Paul to Jesus. A timely shift since the time has arrived when we especially remember the triumphal entry, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. Although in somewhat different ways, each gospel account reveals that Jesus approached his life and mission with clear purpose. We will consider some passages from Luke's account which show us Jesus' intentional approach to fulfilling the purpose for which he came. The first is in Luke 2, 41-51. It's the story of Jesus, who at age 12 went with Mary and Joseph to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. After a day's journey back toward home, his parents discovered Jesus was not in the company of returning pilgrims, so they returned to the city, where after looking for three days, they found Jesus in the temple with the teachers, not only listening to them, but also amazing the teachers by asking and answering questions. When his mother, with some consternation it seems, challenged Jesus, his response suggests that he thought he was only doing the natural and logical thing. Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Luke 2.49, New King James Version. Side note, many other versions read in my father's house. Even at that young age, Jesus had at least some sense of his calling and was intent on pursuing it. However, he returned home in submission to his parents until the right time came to begin his public ministry. Following his baptism and confrontation with the devil in the wilderness, Jesus went back to Nazareth where in the synagogue he read to those present about the Messiah's mission from Isaiah 61, 1-2a. Then after sitting down, Jesus announced, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Because the people were skeptical, he followed up by charging his hometown family and neighbors with being like their forefathers who failed to receive God's prophets. Luke 4, 14-30 When the crowds in Capernaum some days later, tried to keep Jesus from leaving. He declared, I must also preach the kingdom of God to the other cities because I was sent for this purpose. Luke 4, 43. Reading on further, we discover that Jesus was intentional about taking time to communicate with his Father in prayer. Luke 5, 16, 6, 12, 9, 18, 9, 28 to 29, and 11, 1. After feeding the 5,000, Luke 9, 12-17, as Jesus was praying alone with his disciples present, he asked the questions, Who do the crowds say that I am? And then, But who do you say I am? Peter's answer, the Messiah, the Christ of God, must have been a signal for which Jesus had been waiting because from then on, 
his focus turned toward the culmination of his mission. Immediately, Jesus warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Luke 9.22 Eight days later, on the mountain with Peter, John, and James, while praying, Jesus' appearance changed, and then Moses and Elijah appeared with him, talking about his departure. In Greek, it's about his exodus. Luke 9.30 Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the prophets were there talking with Jesus about the true exodus which he had been sent to bring about in order to make provision for the forgiveness of sins for God's people and to deliver them from death and from bondage to that spiritual Pharaoh, the devil. From this point on, Luke emphasizes Jesus' purposeful journey to get to Jerusalem at just the right time. Luke says, when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. 951. After this, everything Luke records is set in places on that journey as Jesus makes his deliberate way from Galilee to Jerusalem. See Luke 1038, 1322, 1711, 1835, 1928. There he will publicly and unmistakably stake his claim to be the Messiah. During this journey, Jesus is consistently intent on preparing his disciples for what he's about to do and for the assignment that will soon be theirs. Luke 941, 944-62, 10, 1-23, 14, 25-35, 16, 1-13, 17, 1 to 10. I skipped over. 15, 31. And 16, 14. 17, 22 to 18, 8. And 18, 31 to 34. Along the way, the crowds increase, and so does the opposition of the Jewish leaders and some others who were plotting against him and trying to trap him. Luke 10, 25, 11, 14 to 16, 11, 53 to 54, 13, 31, 14, 1, 16, 14, 19, 7. Again and again, Jesus confronts them with signs, rebukes, and parables giving them every opportunity to repent and receive him as the one whom God had promised to send. Luke 11, 17 to 26, 13, 10 to 17, 13, 32 to 35, 14, 2 to 24, 15, 2 to 32, 17, 20 and 21, 18, 9 to 14, and chapter 19, 1 to 27. Finally, in Luke 19:29, Jesus and his disciples come near to Bethphage and Bethany, villages near the Mount Olivet, just outside the eastern wall of Jerusalem. There, Jesus sent two disciples into the village with instructions to find a colt, which had never been ridden, and it would be tied up in the village. They would untie it and bring it to him. 
we have now arrived at the event which most of our churches will be remembering this Sunday, the time Jesus triumphantly entered into Jerusalem riding on a donkey's colt. Talk about purposeful and intentional. Jesus deliberately acted to fulfill the prophecy of Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah 9.9 No Jewish person who knew the scriptures could mistake this event. The crowd recognized what was going on right away. This Jesus, who for about three years had been teaching, preaching, and performing miracles among them throughout the whole land, while proclaiming the message of the kingdom of God, was now announcing, I am the king whom God promised to send. In response, the crowd celebrated him as king, using the words of Psalm 118.26, a psalm that celebrates God in his steadfast love and mercy, victoriously delivering his people from their enemies. Blessed is the king, the one who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory on high, in the highest. They sang, according to Luke 19, 26. Jesus could hardly have announced himself more powerfully. The expectations of the crowd was at fever pitch. However, as Jesus approached the city, he went up, wept over it. Knowing that only the leaders, not only the leaders, but even many who loudly were proclaiming him king that day, would turn against him over the next few days because he would not act according to their expectations. This was their time of visitation, the time when God, as he had promised to his prophets, had returned to his people to be their shepherd king. Luke 19, 41-44, Isaiah 40, 9-11, Ezekiel 34, 23, Zechariah 11, 7. Sadly, most would reject him. Rather than deal with the Romans who are oppressing the people of God, Jesus entered the temple grounds to cleanse it, driving out the money changers. In this way, he began his work as king by beginning to set things in order, starting in the place where those who claimed to be God's people went to offer sacrifices and worship. Judgment had begun with the household of God, like the prophets had said. Jeremiah 24, 28, and 29, Ezekiel 9, 3-10, Amos 3, 2. This judgment would not be culminated until 70 AD when the city was destroyed. First, the king would offer himself for the life of his people and the world. And then that good news would be proclaimed for decades in Jerusalem and Judea and across the Roman Empire. There was still time for all those willing to repent to receive their king. I hope you'll be able to use these observations to help you in reading Luke with an eye to Jesus, our pattern for living as citizens of God's kingdom. This week, however, would be a great time to read further in Luke or other gospel accounts and ponder Jesus' words and actions as he moved towards his climactic work when he offered himself as the true Passover lamb in order to deliver us from Satan's dark dominion and transfer us into his own kingdom, Colossians 1. 13 to 14. 
Jesus defeated death by death, as an ancient hymn puts it. Because of Jesus' victory on the cross, God erased the certificate of death with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. And he's taken away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Colossians 2, 14 and 15, Christian Standard Bible. Just as there was a time when people in Jerusalem had to face the consequences of refusing to submit to God's king, so also there will be a time when the whole world will face those consequences. It will be too late then to surrender to Jesus the king. As Paul told the Athenian philosophers, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now proclaiming to mankind that all people everywhere are to repent because he set a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all people by raising him from the dead. Acts 17, 3-31 If you've not acknowledged Jesus as king and centered your life in him, do it today and then join us in the joyous song. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord.